0: The scripture for this evening is taken from Psalm 89, beginning with verse 1. We will not read the last part of this psalm, but it is the last portion of book 3 of the Psalter, which is a book that describes the devastation of God's people. And at the end of this book, The people of God have been so devastated that there is no land. They have been carried away into captivity. There is no temple. They have been devastated. There are no sacrifices. There is no priesthood. The king has been carried away into exile. And in the end, they pray that the Lord would be gracious to them. And Psalm 90 begins book four with the blessing of the Lord on his people, even when they are not in the land. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. But in the first part of Psalm 89, we have an expression of the confidence of the people of God and their king, of his faithfulness to his covenant, even in the context of seeing the devastations of the land, of the temple, of the priesthood, of the sacrifices of their king. It calls us to a great amount of faithfulness and trust in God's faithfulness to his covenant promise. Let us hear, then, this portion of Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the Holy Ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O covenant Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O covenant Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up. You still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain with your strong arm. You scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours and yours are also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. For you are their glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in a vision, to your faithful people you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David my servant. With my sacred oil I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, You are my Father, my God, the Rock, my Savior. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. May God bless to our hearts this reading of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you that though many hours, years, centuries have seen the tumult of the wars between God and Satan, Christ and the evil one, Yet we are confident that every battle is ultimately won by you in one way or another, that you have never forsaken your people and that you will bring them to that great and glorious climax of the end. Increase our faith as we look over the past and as we anticipate the future. Give us the confidence and the certainty of the psalmist, even in the darkest hours of God's people, that you are God in heaven, and your word, your oath, your covenant that has been spoken will be fulfilled in the lives of each and every one of your servants. We bow before you. We humble ourselves to think that you would choose us to be your servants, but we praise you that you have manifested your humility in coming to be our God. Bless us now with a fuller understanding of your purposes across history, and let us know that you who have begun all things will complete them to your glory. For we pray in the mighty name of Christ, amen. Covenants, God's way with his people. I hope you have a one of these yellow brochures in front of you because we couldn't possibly cover the whole of redemptive history in, what, 30 minutes? (laughs) Or two hours. or This is actually a 40-hour course that I'm giving you in about maybe 30 minutes, something like that. We've looked at the problems on page two. We've seen why study covenants. We've noticed the nature of the divine covenants as a bond of life and death, a bond in blood sovereignly administered, administered by God, but God committing himself to us to life and death. By a question during the question and answer period, we dealt with the relation of last will and testament to covenant, and then we noted that a covenant is sovereignly administered. Now we looked at our lazy V's, and we these lazy V's are to indicate the idea of the progression of redemptive history, of a movement across history. And with the covenant of Adam and Eve in in the very beginning, it was just two people at that little point to the left of that covenant of creation, and it moved then in anticipation across history to the thousands and millions of people have lived since then. You might want to note down Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, in which Paul the Apostle says that from one man, God made every nation of the world. That's referring to the covenant of creation. Then we saw the covenant of redemption just in the diagram, and you see that there are dotted lines there, and that those dotted lines symbolize that they were shadows. The old covenant shadows. This was not the ultimate of God's purposes, but only a shadowy anticipation. And if you have a rapid pen, you might write, Adam, the covenant of commencement. That's when everything began. Noah, the covenant of preservation where God committed himself to hold the world together until he completed his redeeming purposes. Abraham, the covenant of promise, in which God and only God passed between the pieces to seal the covenant. Moses, the covenant of? What's the predominant aspect of the Mosaic covenant? Law. Moses, the covenant of law, not that there's no promise in the Mosaic Covenant. Not there's no law in the Abrahamic Covenant. But the emphasis is the one in relation to the other. David, the covenant of the kingdom. And you turn the page then. And then you have the new covenant. The covenant of consummation on page 8. And the idea would be that the new covenant realities as over against the old covenant shadows would actually reach back all the way through these redemptive covenants to the covenant with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, because all men that have ever been redeemed have been redeemed by in anticipation of the covenant of Christ, the new covenant realities are in looking back to that that has been accomplished. And this is standard covenantal theology in contrast with dispensational theology where historically you have a series of dispensations, one replacing the other. Not one building on the other, but one replacing the other. So that the Mosaic covenant of law replaced the covenant of Abraham. And then the covenant of David, which they regard as a covenant that is without condition. And yet David says to Solomon, he says, Be sure you keep the commandments, the ordinances, the decrees of Moses that God may fulfill the covenant that he has made with me. That 's in First King's Chapter Two. There was no question in david's mind that the Mosaic Covenant of Law was being fulfilled in his covenant of the Kingdom. Am I talking too fast? i I wish I could talk a little slower, but i can 't talk if we 're going to cover the whole world in twenty five minutes. So on page nine, we have. The Covenant of Creation. Now we look at a little bit of the substance here, and on the right side you will see the broader aspects of this covenant, and on the left side, the and on the, in the within the little V, you have three ordinances: the Sabbath, marriage, and labor. So the Covenant of Creation has two basic elements the broader aspects of the covenant and the focal aspect of the creational covenant. And the design here for this V, now it's not so lazy, is that everything is hinging on that focal aspect. And if at that focal aspect something goes wrong, then the whole thing collapses. The whole covenant collapses. If There's something goes wrong with that focal aspect, and we'll look at that. But the broader aspect are the creational ordinances. These are ordinances that God has put into creation. They're just as sure as the law of gravity. You know, we're we're on floor number five of our hotel. I think there's only one more floor. Any, Any... higher buildings than that in Greenville? Any 20-story buildings? One 20-story building. Okay. Suppose you go to the top of the 20-story building here in Greenville and say, I'm going to break the law of gravity. And you jump off the building and you're breaking the law of gravity, right? You're not breaking the law of gravity. The law of gravity is going to break you. Is that true? Now, People are so foolish to think that they could break the Sabbath, which is a creational ordinance built into the very structures of society and get away with it. You want to die early? Then work seven days a week. Okay? It will happen. Because God has ordained six days for labor and one day for for rest and worship. If you want to live a long and prosperous life, now, you know, there are obviously exceptions here and God is sovereign over all things, but all things given, being equal, you know, some preachers kill themselves early because preaching is hard work and they never take a day off. You tell your preacher, take your day off. We don't want to see you. The bishop of Uganda, a very fine evangelical man, he was responsible when we first arrived in Uganda for 8 million people. When we left, he was responsible for 11 million people. On one particular occasion, one of the dioceses, he had something like 27 dioceses, and they in civil court sued him because they didn't like the bishop that he intended instituted. Can you imagine the kind of weight that he had to carry? He said, in speaking in our chapel services to our young men and women, he said, every Monday my wife and I disappear and no one knows where we are. He's responsible for 11 million people, but no one knows where he is on Monday. And yet he retired before he was required to retire according to his, his term of office because of the burden and the weight that is there. Don't try to break the Sabbath or the Sabbath will break you. Don't try to break the marriage ordinance or the marriage ordinance will break you. How sad it is we come back here and Everybody's getting a divorce. Now, I know this may be a sensitive thing to some of you here in this, and redemption is here for restoration of all sorts of marital problems and circumstances, but God doesn't say, I hate many things. But He says in the book of Malachi, I hate divorce. I hate divorce. Why does He hate divorce? Because as Jesus said, The two shall be one. That which God has joined together. Let not man pull asunder. Now, we could go a long time on this. Marriage is a creational ordinance. Labor. And I didn't bring a copy of the Christ of the Covenants, but you can read 20 or 30 pages on all of these particular elements here. Next, labor. I can so well remember John Murray, my favorite professor, greatest theologian of the twentieth of the twentieth century, and his he said in his book on the creation of ordinances six days of labor, not five days of labor, six days of labor. The other side of the Sabbath principle is in six days you will work. And now you can work at home. You can work in all kinds of different ways. But God expects you to be productive six days out of the week. That's a part of the creational ordinance. Now, what is this focal aspect? Oh, there's so many things that that I could say about this thing. Just one little item about the, the Sabbath day. Why the first day of the week? Have you ever been embarrassed by your Seventh-day Adventist? Well, just say, well, let's talk about what, what we read in scripture. What do we read in scripture? Seven instances of worship recorded in the New Testament, and every one of them is on the first day of the week. How did that happen? Well, you might want to write this little phrase. The resurrection of Christ is an event as significant as the creation of the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an event as significant as the creation of the world. And God had structured the world in its first half, if you think of it as a half, so that you have work, 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 rest. What's the perspective? Looking forward to what is to come, the rest that is yet to come. When Christ is raised on the first day of the week, there is a new structure of the world. Because the consummation has come in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you begin with rest. And out of the refreshment that you get from your union with the resurrected Jesus Christ, you work, 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 work. The resurrection of Christ is an event as significant as the creation of the world. And it is not by accident that all of the seven instances of worship recorded in the New Testament, and you can read about that in my little book on covenants, God's way with his people, all seven of them listed out to point out how the church always assembled for its worship on the first day of the week, because that was the day of Christ's resurrection. Now, what's this focal aspect? What's the focal aspect? Well, God said to Adam you may eat of all the trees of the garden but you're not to eat of that one tree and in the day that you eat of that one tree you shall surely die. You see what's there? That's the focal aspect of the covenant of creation. That is, you must obey God for the sake of God. That tree, as Adam looked at it, looked just as good as any other tree. Maybe it even looked a little better. Some of those South Carolina peaches, maybe that's what was growing on that tree. Maybe that's what drew him. It's all South Carolina's fault for growing such delicious peaches. Adam just could not resist that peach. He looked at it, and it was good for fruit. But God said, you shall not eat. Many times in your life, God is going to speak and say, don't you do that. But why? Give me a reason. <laughs> You're going to make God give you a reason? Now, God is a rational creature, not that he's subjective to rationality, but he is above human reason. And he has his reasons, but in this case, he said, This is the law. You are not to eat. And Adam broke the covenant, and so he died. But here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. And he lives as a pauper, and he's thirsty. On the cross. And he cried out. If it be possible father. This was not an easy thing. If it be possible. Let this cup pass from me. But he was obedient. Unto death. Where Adam failed. Jesus Christ succeeded. And his righteousness. The perfections of his keeping God's law. Perfectly. Is yours. By faith. You're not only forgiven of all your sins, they're all washed away, but you have given to you the clothing of the righteousness, the perfection of the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You're getting not much better, I have to say. Next, we move on to the covenant of redemption. Genesis 3, 14 through 19, the seed contains all. Only God, only God could put in these four verses, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, six verses, only God could put in these six verses everything that explains the whole of history from this this point on. Can you believe that? In these six verses, everything that has happened since the creation of man and his fall Is described in these verses. Is this God's Word? I assure you, this is God's Word. Now, the introduction, we need to notice that there is a drastic distinction between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, the covenant of creation, and the covenant of redemption. What is a covenant of works? The covenant of works is no provision for blessing in the event of disobedience. God did not say to Adam, don't eat of that tree, but if you do, we, we, we can work out something. I'm a very forgiving one. No, 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 no. That's not a covenant of works. A covenant of works provides demands absolute, total, complete obedience. There is no provision for blessing in the event of disobedience. The covenant of grace, blessing despite demerit. In a covenant of grace, God assumes you are already fallen. You are a sinner. And in the context of being a sinner, God enters into a covenant with you. What a gracious God this is. It is so gracious that assuming, presuming sin, God nonetheless says, I love you and I embrace you and my word for you is Emmanuel. With me is, with us is God. That's the covenant of redemption. Now there's a theology that's being promoted even in reform circles called republication of the covenant of works. It is supposed that in the Mosaic covenant there is a republication of the original covenant that God made with Adam. So that means there is no provision for blessing in the event of disobedience in the covenant that God made with Moses. Is that what we find? Hmm? What's the meaning of all those sacrifices? What's the meaning of that Snake lifted up on a serpent. And if you just look at that snake, God's judgment on you will be removed. And Jesus said, as, referring to the Mosaic covenant, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's no republication. Of the covenant of works in the Mosaic covenant. That would be a total contradiction of the grace that is found in the Mosaic covenant. It's also said that there's no grace in the covenant with Noah. We'll look at that in just a minute. It's full of grace. The covenant with Noah is full of grace. From the time of the fall of Adam until Jesus returns, we are under the covenant of grace. Now, there are the basic principles. If we go back to the creational ordinance, you notice the Sabbath, marriage, and labor. These are the creational ordinances that will never be removed. You know, in the French Revolution, they tried to get rid of the Sabbath. They were going to get rid of everything having to do with Christianity. As we are experiencing today in the USA, I am astounded coming back after 27 years in Africa to see what has happened to this country. It is unbelievable. Deliberate desire To get rid of everything Any stained glass I don't know how long this is going to last What Perversion and twisting Is going on here But So Here we have three words In these covenant of redemption The word to Satan Notice it is a God initiated enmity Adam and Eve Okay, here's the dividing line. Here's God's side, and here's Satan's side. When God speaks these words in Genesis 3:14 through19, where are Adam and Eve? Are they on God's side or on their Satan's side? Anybody willing to commit? Which side? They're on Satan's side. They have vowed loyalty to Satan. And that's where all humanity begins. And God says in this covenant, I will set an enmity. I, God, it's not there by nature. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, all of us were by nature The children of wrath under the dominion of Satan. All of us by nature. But God says, Hey, I I like that one. And I'm going to pull him over to my side. And I'm going to set enmity against Satan in this one. Are you one of those? Has God grabbed you and pulled you, kicking and screaming over to his side and says, Okay, now, we're going to fight Satan together. That is the covenant of grace. That's the word. And this enmity is between two seeds. You, I will put enmity between you, that is Satan, and a woman. Between your seed, who is Satan's seed? Well, all the demons, plus all human beings before God brings them over to his side. You and the woman, your seed and her seed, and then there is a narrowing. You see that little triangle there on page 10? There is a narrowing on Satan's side. He shall crush your head. Who is the he? And you shall crush his heel. This is a struggle between two representatives of two empires, Satanic Empire and Christ's empire. And he bruises. The same word is used, crush and crush. You're going to crush his heel, which happened at the cross when they nailed him to the cross right through the feet. That was Satan's work. But, say, but Christ shall crush your head. And that is the heart of the covenant of redemption. Now, secondly, the word to the woman and the word to the man. In pain, this is because of the chastening of the Lord for us to remember that we are sinners. In pain, you shall bring forth children. The curse and the blessing. The word to the man, in the sweat of your face. I painted my house once, a two-story house. I'll never paint a house again. I changed the little round, uh, I think it's made of honey or something like that, or beeswax at the bottom of my toilet, and I will never do that again. I assure you, I will never do that again. If you can imagine me, the scholar down there trying to get rid of this leaking toilet Mm -hmm. in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread. It finally got put there. The screws got tightened down. You shall eat bread. This is God's covenant of redemption on the first level, Adam. Secondly, we go to Noah, the covenant of preservation. And here you have the, just the six major elements here a continuation of the creation of ordinances, marriage labor and the Sabbath now interestingly there's no mention about the Sabbath but again we didn't even have time to go through this, there is a linear dimension in the Sabbath as well as a cyclical dimension the cyclical the weekly pattern the Sabbath year The jubilee year, every 50 years in the Old Testament perspective. But there's also the linear pattern. Moving toward rest. Moving toward rest in the Sabbath principle. And what is Noah's name? Noah's name is rest. That's what Noah means. And his father expressed faith when he said, Perhaps this is the one that will save us from the burden of the curse that has come upon us in our labor. Noah's father was looking to Noah as the one, perhaps, that would be born of the woman, that would crush the head of the serpent and bring God's people to rest. So rest is there in a big way. Secondly, the particularity of God's grace. This statement of republication of the Mosaic law Or that the covenant with Noah has no grace in it Listen carefully to these words God saw the wickedness of man That it was great in the earth And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart Were only evil all the day You know the five points of Calvinism? What's the five point? First point T-U-L-I-P What's the first one? Total depravity. God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, that is, the first impulse. I know you, you're, some of you, at least, are thinking right now, when is he going to finish this? This is Sunday night. I'm ready to go home. Yes? Any, anybody confess that that's passed through your mind? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be thinking that way. Every imagination, the first impulse behind every thought is only evil all the day. That is total depravity. And what's the next verse? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Was Noah totally depraved? I assure you he was. But here's particularity. Out of all those human beings that were living at that time, Noah was the one whom God seized and found grace. God deals with families. Now, this is a good... Have you ever seen the cotton patch version of the the Bible? It's got y'all and you and all those good southern words in it. Now, Genesis 7-1 says, Get into the ark you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, for I have found you righteous in my eyes. Now, Southerners, tell me, should that be read y'all righteous or you righteous? Was it all of Noah's family that was righteous going into the ark, or was it you singular Noah? Which was it? Want to raise hands? Well, I'll give you a clue. It was not, the cotton patch version would have not have said y'all. It would have said you. I have found you righteous as the head of your family and therefore your whole family goes into the ark of salvation. Genesis six eighteen. the first use of the word covenant in the Bible is talking about Noah's family. He makes a covenant with you, and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Covenant theology is household theology. Fourthly, God's commitment to preserve the earth. Seed time and harvest, and cold and winter, and day and night do not cease. And it's continued until today. God holds his word. To preserve the earth, 9 6. What was Adam supposed to do? He who Puts to death a human being, that human being. He who murders a human being, that human being is to be put to death. Capital punishment instituted by God as a way to restrain evil for the sake of preserving the earth. Capital punishment. As Paul says in Romans chapter 13, the state does not bear the sword in vain it doesn't say the rod in vain it says a sword and you don't spank with a sword you decapitate with a sword and even though the state many times errs it is the way of restraining evil in the earth a universally a universalistic dimension with every living creature god enters into this covenant with noah even though there's a particularistic element Noah is the one who found grace. It is a covenant also with every living creature. Everyone has the opportunity of entering into the ark. And is finally a gracious covenant, the rainbow. I put my rainbow. I put my this is not a sign that you established. This is a sign I established. I put my rainbow. By the way, what's the shape of a rainbow? Jack, what is it? Like that? Is like an arch like that? Is that right? Wrong. Sorry. <laughs> 99% of the people out here would be wrong also. Do you know the shape of a rainbow? It's a circle. I've been in an airplane and I've seen one. It's a complete circle. The only reason it looks like an arch is because the... the The edge of the earth cuts it off. That's as much as you can see. But maybe one day, Jack, you'll have the privilege of being up in an airplane and you can see what a rainbow really looks like. It's like this. Total circle. And isn't that a beautiful picture of God's grace? That colorful circle. And the book of Revelation says in chapter 4, there is a rainbow arching the throne. God's covenant with Noah continues. Now, next, the covenant with Abraham. And thankfully, we've already dealt with that. So you can listen to the to the tape if you want any more information on the covenant with Abraham. The covenant of Moses. Various views about the law are given. Liberalism, the JEDP hypothesis. And we won't spend any time with that because it's not worth it. But these book, these passages in Leviticus basically say, God predicted. God predicted. And the, you see, those who believe in J-E-D-P, they believe in evolution as to explain Christianity. So you can't possibly have naturalistic evolution. So you can't possibly have Redemptive prediction of the future But here in Exodus In Leviticus 26 The exile of Israel And their return from exile Is predicted Seven or eight hundred years Before it occurred It's there Secondly Antinomianism What is antinomianism Nomus is law Anti is against Antinomianism says I'm against the law Well See Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 For Christians Children, obey your parents For this is the first commandment With promise Legalism But see Galatians two fifteen and 16 Knowing this first That no man has ever established righteousness By the keeping of the law It is only by faith Dispensationalism Two plans, two purposes, two people The people of Israel that are to go into the millennium in the future and the rest of us in the church that are somehow going to make it to eternity. No. There's one plan, one purpose, one people. Paul in Ephesians says, the great mystery, even though it was predicted and we read about it in Scripture today, the great mystery is that Even people today do not understand. Can you possibly communicate this to your dispensational friends, to your premillennial friends, to let them understand that, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, that there is an equality of the Gentile believers with the Jewish believers. They are fellow heirs, fellow possessors, fellow receivers of the blessings of the covenant. That's the mystery that the Old Testament did not understand. The Gentiles were to come in, but that they were equal with the Jews, that's what came as a revelation in the New Testament. Seventh-day Adventism, see Mark chapter 7. This, he said, Said. Jesus says, there's nothing coming into a man that entering into him can defile him. The things that come out of him, those are the things that defile him. And And Mark, the author of the gospel says, this he said, making all foods clean. One little statement of Jesus. All that teaching revelation of the Old Testament is passed away. It's passé now. This he said, so I am so happy because I have had crab and shrimp since I have been here and I have enjoyed it. That shrimp and grits was just mm, so good. But I couldn't do it if it were according to the Old Testament. Now what about the covenantal perspective, the law in every age, a progressive unfolding, the abiding character of the Ten Commandments, the teaching role of the civil and ceremonial laws, and a distinction between the place of the law in our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. You'll have to work all that out yourself. Now, I brought two small books here with me. One was a gift given to me about 55 or 65 years ago by First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi, June the 9th, 1955, when I graduated from Central High School. And I would recommend that for every high school graduate you give a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith with its larger and shorter catechisms. And that has been with me, and I have used this. You can see I've had to tape it up a little bit. I have used this continuous since 1955. And I was going to read to you just one exposition of one aspect of one of the Ten Commandments in the larger, larger catechism. I recommend that you get the larger catechism and read the exposition of the Ten Commandments. And as you read, you'll get lower, and you'll get lower, you'll get lower, and you'll get lower, and you'll get lower. On your knees before God, confessing all the sins that you've committed. There's no greater way to get to humility than by reading the larger Catechism's Exposition of the Ten Commandments. And the next thing I'm going to say, you know, recommend this little book, A Way to Pray by Matthew Henry. This is the second book next to the Bible that I have used almost every day of my life. The original copy belonged to my mother. It was in the Old English, and with some help of some students from African Bible University who typed the manuscript in the Old English, I was able to edit it and put it into modern English. And a new edition I just heard is now being reprinted by Banner of Truth and should be out in just a couple of weeks. And I plead with you, to get a copy of Matthew Henry's A Way to Pray. It will change your life. It will broaden your prayer horizons beyond what you can can imagine. Rather than saying in the same old prayer rut all the time, get, this is the 11th commandment, get Matthew Henry's (laughs) A Way to Pray. Now, what have we got left here? We're almost finished here. We've got Moses, then we've got David, the covenant of the kingdom. This is the climax of the covenants in the Old Testament. We read about it in Psalm 89. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God takes an oath to David that they will never fail to be a descendant of David on the throne. And David established his throne in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And God said there will always be Mount Zion. Anybody see a problem with that? David's throne came to an end for 2,000 years. Even before that, 70 years before that, or 400 years before that. There was no king on David's throne. You read the end of Psalm 89, and that was the end of kingship in terms of the Old Testament. Jerusalem destroyed. And if you visit Jerusalem, have you visited Jerusalem? You're going to go to the holy city? Well, it's not holy at all. It's not holy at all. Let me assure you of that. And instead of a temple to worship the Lord, what's there? A huge mosque, and the cry of the Muslim goes out. For 2,000 years, there has not been any sacrifices given. It would be a blasphemy of the offering of the Son of God if there were any sacrifices given. We don't want to, we don't expect the temple to be rebuilt, but if it would be rebuilt, it would be a travesty of the once for all sacrifice of the Son of God if Jesus has offered himself as the Lamb of God as a sacrifice to remove the sins of the world, what are animals, blood, what does that mean? It means Jesus' sacrifice isn't enough? Is that what it would mean? I may be insulting some of you, but I ask you to study the scriptures and see what they say. And it remained local rather than universal. What, so what is the solution of the Davidic covenant? The resurrected Jesus Christ, the son of David, ascended to the God's right hand, which is the heavenly Mount Zion. You are not come to a mountain that can be shaken, but you are come to the... This is Hebrews chapter 12. You are come to the heavenly Mount Zion. Where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and where the political goings on, the debates going on in America are not going to touch his lordship. He who sits in heaven laughs. <laughs> Look at them down there. They think they're going to overthrow the Messiah. Go get them, Messiah. I've turned it over to you. Listen to this, you kings of the earth. You better come soon and kiss his feet. Because if you don't, he will be, con- you will be consumed in his wrath in a moment. Don't you mess with King Jesus. He is Lord. All the Lord's and forever will be. And finally, Christ, the covenant of consummation, Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the same time as Psalm 89, the latter part of Psalm 89. The king has been taken away into captivity. The Babylonians have come and devastated Jerusalem. All of the good, of the 90%, I don't know what percent, but a major portion of The Israelites have been taken into Babylon, enslaved, and they have been distributed among various countries, and that's it. That's the end of the old covenant. And Jeremiah says, God says, I will make a new covenant. Not like the old covenant where my law was written on stone tablets, But now I with my spirit Will write my law on their hearts And every one of them shall know me There'll be no need of a teacher There'll be no need of Sorry about this My good brother They'll not need you for long Okay There'll be no need of preachers Because they will all know me From the least to the greatest What a wonderful covenant And every time you come to the Lord's Supper And you remember You remember This is my blood Of the covenant Which is poured out For you For remission of sins Do this until The Lord come Even so Come Lord Jesus All those covenants Made with Adam, with Noah with Abraham, with Moses, with David are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Check out the scriptures. Let us pray. Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, redeemer of a great multitude from every tribe and nation and people, we give you great glory and honor. We bow before you we cry out to you. Forgive us for not thinking more of the wonders of your redemptive purposes. Save your people, we pray thee, in the midst of the calamities that we face, the chaos among the nations. Give us trust to believe that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.